Welcome to the Coming Out of the Dark Bible Study with Pastor John. Tonight's study will be in the book of Daniel. We invite you to join us at 1 Oakley Avenue in North Providence, Rhode Island. This podcast is presented to you by The Way Ministries, supported by listeners like you. For donations, live videos, podcasts, and more, please visit www.thewayministriesri.org. Thank you and have a great day. All right, let's get started. Welcome to the Coming Out of the Dark Bible Study. I want to thank everyone for coming out tonight to get a portion of God's Word. Amen. Amen. First and foremost, let's thank our Lord and Savior tonight. (laughs) Thank you, Jesus, for coming into our lives, opening our eyes, and giving us salvation and deliverance, Lord, from our sin nature, Lord, and our evil ways, Lord. Thank you for saving us and doing for us what we can never, ever do for ourselves. I'd like to thank all the faithful people here, one body, many parts. We all need each other for this to function properly, and we're grateful to each and every one of you. If you have a cell phone, can you please silence it so it doesn't disturb tonight's service? And we will start with a word of prayer. Oh, gracious Heavenly Father, our Lord Jesus, thank you for allowing us this beautiful opportunity tonight, Lord, to get into your word and gather together, Lord, to worship, honor, and glorify you, Lord. Learn more and more about you, Lord, and your ways and how we can put them ways in our lives, Lord, and in our hearts, Lord. Thank you for all the fruits of the Spirit that you give us, Lord, all the love and the joy and the peace and the patience and the self-control you give us, Lord. Help us to nurture that new heart, Lord, by studying your word and applying it to our lives, Lord, as we have a new heart beating in each and every one of us, Lord. Thanks to the Lord and Savior for shedding his blood for us, Lord. And we pray for Giselle, that you keep your healing hands on her, Lord. Bring her back to her safety and heal her body, Lord. Knowing that she belongs to you, Lord. We know that you're the ultimate physician, Father. That can heal all the brokenness in the world, Father. And we pray for our brother Nick, too, that's suffering. We help him, too, Lord. And we pray for all the other people in the church, Lord, that's suffering, Lord. Bring them back to us safely, Lord, so we can all worship together as a family, Lord. And as always, let everything we do tonight be led by your spirit, Father, and not our flesh. And it's in Jesus' mighty name that we pray. Amen and amen. All right, we're going to stand. Brittany's going to come up and sing. And we are going to get started. Oh, 
How's everybody doing tonight, all right? Good to see everybody come out to get a portion of God's Word. As always, as I go into the Scripture, the Holy Spirit will be taken over. So please prepare your hearts and your mind to receive the message. The Spirit is trying to save the church tonight. Amen? Amen. Okay, we're going to start off in Matthew chapter 5 tonight. If you can go there. Matthew chapter 5, and we got verse uh, 43. Let's see what we got here. Hmm. <laughs> Let's go to verse uh, 38. Matthew chapter 5, <clears throat> verse 38. Everybody's already there, huh? <laughs> now, getting to know that Bible real good here, huh? Thank you, Jesus, right? Amen. He gives us that written word. It becomes the living word. Amen. And we get hungry for it. Especially at halfway point in the week, huh? on a Wednesday. Nothing better than to get a little dose of uh, spiritual spirituality. All right. Teaching about revenge. You have heard the law that says the punishment must match the injury. An eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say, do not resist an evil person. If someone slaps you on the right cheek, offer the other cheek also. If you are sued in court and your shirt is taken from you, give your coat too. If a soldier demands that you carry his gear for a mile, carry it two miles. Give to those who ask and don't turn away from those who want to borrow. Teaching about love for enemies. <laughs> so what is he saying here? Is it like literal? No, he's just saying do good to others as you would have them do unto you. It's not if somebody gives you a slap, say, oh, here's the other side. You know, it doesn't, it's mean, no, we don't fight back. You know, we don't fight back if there's a quarrel or anything like that. You can take it literal, but in a spiritual way, if somebody comes at you and attacks you with words, you keep your mouth shut, leave it in God's hands, and he'll take care of it. Amen? Instead of you trying to defend yourself. Now, obviously, if somebody comes into your house that's going to threaten your family, do you just let them in and let them do it? No. <laughs> no, we have, we have to protect our families and our children, especially in these evil days. Amen? So we have to know where, where we draw the line here. Verse 43, you have heard the law that says, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you, and that way you will be acting as true children of your Father in heaven. Wow, see what he says? You'll be acting like true children, not fake children. <laughs> That's what he's saying. What is he saying? Pray for those who persecute. Love your enemies. Now, we all know that we cannot do that in the flesh. It's impossible. In the spirit, we can. We can leave it in God's hands and let him do the judging. He's the judge. Because two wrongs don't make a right. Especially as for a Christian. 
Now he says in verse 45, In that way you will be acting as true children of your Father in heaven, for he gives the sunlight to both the evil and the good, and he sends on the, the rain on the just and the unjust alike. If you love only those who love you, what reward is there for that? Even corrupt tax collectors do that much. If you are kind only to your friends, how are you different from anyone else? Even pagans do that. But you ought to be perfect, even as your Father in heaven is perfect. Or you ought to be what? Grown up and mature. Because your Father in heaven is perfect. Is it like, oh, I'm only going to be... A lot of Christians end up saying, you come to church say, oh, I only love my brothers in Christ. And all the other unbelieving world, they treat harshly. It's like, no, we're supposed to show them Jesus. So they come to the world. Because the only thing that's going to change their heart is Jesus Christ. So we have to what? Act like Jesus Christ. Instead of what? Acting like the rest of the world would act. It's unconditional love. Okay. That was great scripture right there, huh? All right, so we're going into a new book tonight, and I know a lot of people already know what it is. And we've been, everybody's been asking for this for a long time, and I did a lot of work getting this ready. We are going to go into the book of Daniel. Yeah. <laughs> All right, so we have to understand, this is going to require a lot of focus, a lot of attention, a lot of understanding. I'm going to have to lay some groundwork tonight. We're going to see how far we get with this. We have to get a good grasp of this. This is a this is a awesome book on prophecy and what's really going on in the world today. And we just have to get a good grasp of it. So pay attention. And here we go. Daniel. We're going to talk about the vital statistics, the timeline, the blueprint, mega themes. <clears throat> All right. I'm going to get the gist of this right now. An earthquake shakes the foundation of our security. A tornado blows away a lifetime of treasures. An assassin's bullet changes national history. A drunk driver claims an innocent victim. A divorce shatters a home. Terrorism frightens a nation. Inter international and personal tragedies make our world seem a fearful place overflowing with evil and seemingly out of control. Okay? In the litany of bombings, coups, murders, and natural disasters could cause us to think that God is absent or impotent. Where is God? We cry, engulfed by sorrow and despair. 25 centuries ago, Daniel could have despaired. Okay? He and thousands of his countrymen had been deported to a foreign land after Judah was conquered. Daniel found himself facing an egocentric despot and surrounded by idolaters. Instead of giving in or giving up, this courageous young man held fast to his faith in his God. Daniel knew that despite the circumstances... God was sovereign and was working out his plan for nations and individuals. The book of Daniel centers around this profound truth, the sovereignty of God. After a brief account of Nebuchadnezzar's siege and defeat of Jerusalem, 
The scene quickly shifts to Daniel and his three friends, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, which we now know as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These men held prominent positions within the Babylonian government. Daniel, in particular, held such a position because of his ability to interpret the king's dreams that tell of God's unfolding plan, chapters 2 and 4. Sandwiched between the dreams is the fascinating account of Daniel's three friends in the furnace in chapter 3. Because they refused to bow down to an image of gold, they were condemned to a fiery death. But God intervened and spared their lives. Belshazzar ruled Babylon after Nebuchadnezzar, and chapter 5 tells of his encounter with God's message written on a wall. Daniel, who was summoned to interpret the message, predicted Babylon's fall to the Medes and Persians. This prediction came true that very night, and Darius the Mede conquered the Babylonian kingdom. Daniel became one of Darius' most trusted advisors, his privileged position, and other administrators who plotted his death by convincing the king to outlaw prayer. In spite of the law, Daniel continued to pray to his sovereign law. As a result, he was condemned to die in a den of hungry lions. Again, God intervened saving him and shutting the mouths of the lions in chapter 6. The book concludes with a series of visions that Daniel had during the reigns of Belshazzar, chapter 7 and 8, Darius in chapter 9, and Cyrus in chapters 10 and 12. These dreams dramatically outline God's future plans, beginning with Babylon and continuing to the end of the age. They give a preview of God's redemption and have been called the key to all biblical prophecy. God is sovereign. He was in control in Babylon. And he has been moving in history, controlling the destinies of people ever since. And he is, not, he is here now. Despite news reports or personal stress, we can be confident that God is in control. As, you, as we read Daniel, watch God work and find your security in his sovereignty. All right, the vital statistics in the purpose. To give a historical account of the faithful Jews who lived in captivity and to show how God is in control of heaven and earth, directing the forces of nature, the destiny of nations, and the care of his people. The author is Daniel. And the original audience is the other captives in Babylon. The date written about approximately 536 B.C., recording events that occurred from about 605 to 536 B.C. The setting, Daniel had been taken captive and deported to Babylon uh, by Nebuchadnezzar in 605 B.C. Okay? There he served in the government for about 70 years. Okay? During the reigns of Nebuchadnezzar, Belshazzar, Darius, and Cyrus. The key verse, he, God reveals deep and mysterious things and knows what lies hidden in darkness, though he is surrounded by light. 
key people in the, in the scripture. Daniel, Nebuchadnezzar, Sadrach, Meshach, Abednego, Belshazzar, and Darius. The key places, Nebuchadnezzar's palace, the blazing furnace, Belshazzar's feast, the den of lions. The special features in this book, Daniel's apocalyptic visions in chapters 7 and 12, give a glimpse of God's plan for the ages, including a direct prediction of the Messiah. Okay? Daniel and his three friends chose not to eat the king's food. They did not bow down to the king's image, even under the penalty of death. Daniel continued to pray, even though he knew he might be noticed and sentenced to death. These men are inspiring examples for us to how to live godly lives in a sinful world. When we face trials, we can expect God to also be with us through them. May God grant us similar courage to remain faithful under pressure. All right, let's talk about a couple of Daniel's visions. These visions gave the captives added confidence that God is in control of history. They were to be wait patiently in faith and not worship the gods of Babylon or accept that society's way of life. God still rules over human activities. Evil will be overcome, so we should wait patiently and not give in to the temptations and pressures of the sinful way of life around us. How about a big amen there? Here's some mega themes. God is in control. God is all-knowing and he is in charge of the world events. God overrules and removes rebellious leaders who defy him. God will overcome evil. No one is exempt. But he will deliver the faithful who follow him. The importance. Although nations vie for world control now, one day Christ's kingdom will replace and surpass the kingdoms of this world. Our faith is sure because our future is secure in Christ. We must live, we must have courage and put our faith in God who controls everything. I'll put a big amen there. We're going to get a good grasp of this book and we're not going to rush through it because I feel or I understand that we are growing up here and that we can handle some more deeper truths of the Bible. Amen? Okay, purpose in life, explanation. Daniel and his three friends are examples of dedication and commitment. Okay? They determined to serve God regardless of the consequences. They did not give in to the pressures from an ungodly society because they had a clear purpose in life. Importance. It is wise to make trusting and obeying God alone our true purpose in life. This will give us direction and peace in spite of the circumstances or the consequences. We should, obey, we should disobey anyone who asks us to disobey God. Our first allegiance must be to God. Is everybody with me so far? I put a lot of time into this, so pay attention. As I was doing the other scriptures, as the other books, I was going into this one on the side, getting it ready. I was doing a double. 
<laughs> my wife will tell you what kind of time I go to bed at night sometimes. She tell me, you coming to bed? I said, what's that? <laughs> That's what it takes to do this. But God gives me the strength to do it through the Holy Spirit. Because it's, I'm called by God to do this. This is nothing that God called me and chose me to do it. And he says, if I call you and choose you, that means I'm going to give you the power to accomplish it. And that's who I depend on to do it. Okay. Perseverance. Explanation. Daniel served for 70 years in a foreign land that was hostile to God. Yet he did not compromise his faith in God. He was truthful, persistent in prayer, and disinterested in power for personal glory. The importance, in order to fulfill your life's purpose, you need staying power. Don't let your Christian distinctness become blurred. Be relentless in your prayers, maintain your integrity, and be content to serve God wherever he puts you. God's faithfulness. Explanation. God was faithful in Daniel's life. He delivered him from execution, from a den of lions, and from enemies who hated him. God cares for his people and deals patiently with them. Thank God for that. The importance. We can trust God to be with us through any trial. Why? Because he has been faithful to us. We should remain faithful to him. Okay. Now, Daniel as literature, Daniel contains history, but it contains much more. It teaches the theological lessons of history by going behind earthly events to pull out and demonstrate their true meaning and significance. Okay? It is concerned mainly to show God's hand and plan by the way it reports its events. Daniel as wisdom literature, Daniel is a book of wisdom intended to make God's people wise in God's ways. The wise person is purified through suffering, seeks the path of righteousness, and leads others into that way. The wise person knows that God Most High is the God of God, that he holds the future in his hands, and that he can rescue his people from any danger. How about a big amen there? Now Daniel as apocalyptic literature, certain parts of Daniel belong to a literary genre called apocalyptic, revelation, unveiling what is hidden. Okay? This genre pulls back the curtain of earthly history and reveals the activity of God, angels, and other spiritual powers behind the scenes. These activities affect historical events on the earth. Apocalyptic literature reveals reality, often by using rich symbolic language so that statues, animals, or horns can represent such things as kings, kingdoms, and persons. It is important to interpret apocalyptic literature according to what is image, its imagery intends. What is the reality and truth behind the imagery? The literary context and the historical background of a passage must be examined in order to properly interpret its symbolism. Are we getting this? Sometimes the insights needed to interpret the imagery are found within the text. In other cases, 
a study of the social, political, military, or cultural milieu will, help, will yield helpful insights. For instance, studying the history of Babylon can be helpful in understanding why a certain image for Babylon, a golden head or a lion, is fitting. By going behind earthly events to demonstrate their true meaning, the book of Daniel teaches theological lessons. The ancient Greek version of Daniel and the Latin Vulgate include three passages not found in the Hebrew manuscript. These passages are included in the Roman Catholic and Orthodox editions of the Bible, but not in Protestant editions. Meaning and message. The God of Daniel is always there when you least expect him. In a stone, in a crematorium oven, on a whitewashed wall, in a pit of ferocious beasts. The fortunes of kings and the affairs of men are subject to God's decrees. He is able to accomplish his will despite the most determined opposition of the mightiest potentiates on earth. Daniel's major theological theme is that God's sovereignty is expressed in God's final purpose for humanity and all of creation. History is an inexorable march toward the kingdom of God in which God's sovereignty will be fully realized. How about an amen there? God judges and rescues his people, controls history as he pleases on a universal scale, and raises up or brings down pagan kingdoms and kings. He decided when to conclude the exile, and he defeats and controls the powers of evil. Heavenly powers bow to him, and he has the power to raise the dead. His wisdom controls all things. He is sovereign to choose and approve of those who are beloved and highly esteemed in his eyes. God establishes his kingdom over all the earth forever, and his people will rule over it with their king, the Son of Man. All right. Daniel, chapter 1. Let's go. Is everybody ready for this? Yeah. <laughs> We're going to explain a lot of this. All the symbolism, all the stuff that's really confusing, we're going to bring it to simplicity, okay? Amen. So we can get a grasp of this. Amen. So I'm going to go slow here, okay? The first verses 1 and 2. Daniel and Nebuchadnezzar's court. During the third year of King Jehoiakim's reign in Judah... King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon came to Jerusalem and besieged it. The Lord gave him victory over King Jehoiakim of Judah and permitted him to take some of the sacred objects from the temple of God. So Nebuchadnezzar took them back to the land of Babylonia. So do you see what it says in verse 2? The Lord gave him victory over King Jehoiakim of Judah and permitted him to take some of the sacred objects from the temple of God. It was God who did it. So Nebuchadnezzar took them back to the land of Babylonia, or in Hebrew, the land of Shinar. 
and placed them in the treasure house of his God. So he took them out of God's house and placed them into the Babylonian gods. <coughs> Imagine. Don't worry. Nebuchadnezzar got humbled, remember? He didn't get away with it. But God used him as a vessel to chasten his people. We have to understand why he used him. All right, before we go on, verses 1 and 2. Born during the middle of Josiah's reign, 2 Kings 22 to 23, Daniel grew up during the king's reforms. During this time, Daniel probably heard Jeremiah, a prophet he quoted in chapter 9, verse 2. In 609 B.C., Josiah was killed in a battle against Egypt, and within four years, the southern kingdom of Judah had returned to its evil ways. In 605 B.C., Nebuchadnezzar became king of Babylonia. In September of that year, he swept into Palestine and surrounded Jerusalem, making Judah his vassal state. To demonstrate his dominance, Nebuchadnezzar took many of Jerusalem's most intelligent, gifted men, and most beautiful women to Babylon as captives. Daniel was among this group. Nebuchadnezzar, the supreme leader of Babylonian, was feared throughout the world. Okay? When he invaded a country, defeat was certain. After a victory, the Babylonians usually took the most talented and useful people back to Babylon and left only the poor behind to take whatever land they wanted and to live peaceably there. 2 Kings 24 verse 14. This system fostered great loyalty from conquered lands and ensured a steady supply of wise and talented people for civil service. He was smart, Nebuchadnezzar. And God told him, if you follow him and be, obey them, you'll be okay. God told him to obey him. At certain times, God allows this work to suffer. In this instance, the Babylonians raided the temple of God and took the worship articles to the temple of God, of a god in Babylon. This god may have been Bel, also called Madoc, or Madoc, the chief god of the Babylonians. Those who love the Lord must have felt disheartened and discouraged. We feel greatly disappointed when our churches suffer physical damage. Split, closed down for financial reasons. By the way, we didn't. Thank you, Jesus. That's what our faith brought us here. Or are racked by scandals. We do not know why God allows his church to experience these calamities. But like the people who witnessed the plundering of the temple by the Babylonians, we must trust God, is that God is in control, and that he is watching over all who trust in him. Amen? Amen? There's a reason he does everything. Inside his house, inside the world, there's a reason why he does it. Only he knows. Amen? And where to trust him. <clears throat> Sometimes we question, why would God do that? Why? Because he's God and we're not. Right. He can do whatever he wants. He knows everybody's heart. He knows the spirit of good and he knows the spirit of evil. And we don't because we, people, we get deceived a lot. Even in church, oh, they look like really nice people. The devil comes as an angel of light. 
But only, there's only one who can see through that, and that's God. And that's why he brings people into his house, and he takes people out of his house. Because he knows, Father knows best. Amen? <clears throat> Alright, verse 3. Then the king ordered Aspenaz, his chief of staff, to bring to the palace some of the young men of Judah's royal family and other noble families who had been brought to Babylon as captives. Select only strong, healthy, and good-looking young men, he said. Make sure they are well-versed in every branch of learning, are gifted with knowledge and good judgment, and are suited to serve in the royal palace. Train these young men in the language and literature of Babylon, or of the Chaldeans. Now, in verse 4, the common language of Babylonia was Aramaic. Okay, while the language of scholarship included the ancient and complicated Babylonian language. The academic program would have included mathematics, astronomy, history, science, and magic. These young men demonstrated not only aptitude, but also discipline. This character trait combined with integrity served them well in their new culture. That's what he's talking about. Daniel and his three friends there. Verse 5. The king assigned them a daily ration of food and wine from his own kitchens. They were to be trained for three years. And, they would, and then they would enter the royal service. Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah were four of the young men chosen, all from the tribe of Judah. Okay? The chief of staff renamed them with these Babylonian names. Daniel was called Belteshazzar. Hananiah was called Shadrach. Mishael was called Meshach. And Azariah was called Abednego. Now, there's a reason why he did this. Nebuchadnezzar changed the names of Daniel and his friends because he wanted to make them Babylonian in their own eyes and in the eyes of the Babylonian people. The new names would help them assimilate into the culture. Daniel means God is my judge in Hebrew. His name was changed about the Shazar, meaning Bel, which means protect his life. Bel, also called Marduk, was the chief Babylonian god. Hananiah means the Lord shows grace. His new name, Shadrach, probably means under the command of Aku, the moon god. Mishael means who is like God. His new name, Meshach, Meshach, probably means who is like a cool. Azariah means the Lord helps. His new name, Abednego, means servant of Nego or Nebo or Nebu, the god of learning and writing. This was how the king attempted to change the religious loyalty of these young men from Judah's god 
to the gods of Babylonia. See, that's what he was doing. He was trying to train them, changing their name to so he figured they'd start to follow their culture. But that didn't work. But he tried. But Daniel obeyed God. All right, look at verse 8. Now look what it says. But Daniel was determined not to defile himself by eating the food and wine given to them by the king. He asked the chief of staff for permission not to eat these unacceptable foods. Now, before we go on, Daniel resolved not to eat the king's food either because some of it was forbidden by Jewish law, like pork, Leviticus 11, or because accepting the king's food and drink was the first step towards depending on his gifts and favors instead of God. Although Daniel was in a culture that did not honor God, he still obeyed God's laws. Daniel was determined to be devoted to principle and was committed to a course of action. When Daniel made up his mind not to defile himself, he was being true to a lifelong determination to do what was right and not to give in to the pressures around him. <clears throat> the lesson. We too are, to often, are often assaulted by pressures to compromise our standards and live more like the world around us. Merely wanting or preferring, or preferring God's will and way is not enough to stand against the onslaught of temptation. Like Daniel, we must resolve to obey God. How about a big amen there? What is he saying? We have to make the choice before the temptations come that we're going to obey God no matter what. See, Daniel already made a vow. He was going to live for God no matter what. He already had, he was prepared for when that time comes. We have to be prepared for when the day of temptation comes for us too. By making that, say, Lord, I'm going to serve you. I'm learning you. I'm coming here. I'm getting ready for when that comes. I don't have to fall prey to it. I can still serve you. Amen. We have to prepare for that. Fail to prepare. Prepare to fail. Can I get an amen here? Amen. Now, what's the lesson here? It is easier to resist temptation if you have thought through your convictions well before the temptation arrives. Daniel and his friends made their decision to be faithful to the laws of God before they were faced with the king's delicacies. So they did not hesitate to stick with their convictions. We will get into trouble if we have not previously decided where to draw the line. Before such situations arise, decide on your commitment and what you will do. Then when temptation comes, you will be ready to say no. Amen. Not if it comes, when it comes. We have to be fully prepared for when it comes. Can I get an amen here? Amen. The valuable lessons we're going to learn in Daniel are going to have to stick with us so we can actually be like they were. Because they, they lived in a fallen... Look, if you think about when we go out there, it's like living in Babylon. They don't follow any of the ways of God. There's all compromise out there. Everything wrong is right to them. And everything right is wrong. To us, when we go out there, it's the opposite. We're to say no to all them temptations and desires and make a choice to live for God. But we have to what? Well, when, things, when we're not getting tempted, make that vow that we're going to do that. 
So when it comes, we're ready. Not if it comes, when it comes. You know when the voices start calling. When you had a hard day at work. When you're not getting along with your family. When there's strife inside the church. Look, as we grow in this ministry, in this, in this church, you know what the devil's going to try to do? He's going to try to picket the flock inside the church, not outside the church. He's going to cause us to picket what's wrong with people instead of what's right, instead of praying. People are going to get angry and bitter and compromise and try to what? Steal the joy of the church and steal the testimony. It always happens. We have to be on God. We know that we got blessed with this church. We got blessed with the church. Now the counterattack is going to come. We have to be prepared to resist that and say, I'm going to live for God. Amen. I'm going to have love, joy, peace, no matter what's going on, because Jesus Christ is in the center of my life. Amen. That's why I didn't put that away. So we can do that everywhere, not just in December. We need to do it in January, in February, in March, in April, in May, June, July, August, September, every day. Recognize that. Can I get a big amen here? Amen. This ministry is going to grow. And it says the kingdom of God forcefully advances. We have to forcefully advance the ministry. No matter, come hell or high water. Just keep going and moving forward. Knowing that it's going to happen. And guess what? It's going to come into all of us. The devil is going to try to get in to each and every one of us. That finds a weakness of chinking our armor mm -hmm. <clears throat> to what? Yep. To weaken the core of the ministry. Mm -hmm. All it takes is one bad seed mm -hmm. to start spreading cancer all through the church. Instead of love, bitterness sets in and resentment and hatred. And the love grows wax cold. Remember in Revelation, he was talking about all the seven churches. Mm -hmm. He says, I wish you were either, you're, you're lukewarm. We need a hot nor cold. We need to be what? On fire all the time. Amen. That's why this was the perfect time to, to reveal this book. Amen. Right now. Because we are going to get tested in this church. Trust me. And only the strong are going to survive. We can expect casualties. But God will send them. He'll send in new people, new soldiers. Who want the truth. Amen. Because that's what sets us free. Amen. Because you have to understand when people leave. What does the Bible say? They left because they didn't want. Belong. Exactly. So what does it do? Can they come back? Yeah. All they got to do is say. Yeah I repent. And I find my way back. Okay. Now. Verse 9. Now God had given the chief of staff. Both respect and affection for Daniel. Okay? Now look what it says. Now God had given the chief of staff both respect and affection for Daniel. Remember all through the Bible? Like Joseph, he found favor with Pharaoh. See, it's God that puts the favor in. Even if something, if we end up being next to some tyrant, God will be next to and, and soften his heart for his people. That's what he does. I know he does it for me. <laughs> when I'm at work, because there's some, yeah, yeah, you know how it goes, right? All right, in verse nine, 
God moved with an unseen hand to change the heart of this Babylonian official. The strong moral conviction of these four young men made an impact. God promises to be with his people in times of trial and temptation. Psalms 106.46 tells us that. Isaiah 43.2 verse 5 tells us that. And 1 Corinthians 10.13 tells us that. His active intervention often comes just when we take a stand for him. Stand for God and trust him to protect you in ways you may not be able to see. Big amen there, right? But he responded, verse 10, I am afraid of the Lord, my Lord, the king, who has ordered that you eat this food and wine. If you become pale and thin compared to the other youths of your age, I am afraid the king will have me beheaded. So, I mean, Nebuchadnezzar was no joke. If they did not obey his orders, there was no like, all right, put him in jail and I'll think about what I'm going to do. No, instant death. Behead him. Kill him. If they disobeyed the king. That's how fearful he was. All right, in verse 10, anything short of complete obedience meant execution for the officials who served Nebuchadnezzar. Even in such a small matter as this, the official feared for his life. If Daniel became pale or didn't, because he wanted to get him healthy by eating the good meat and the good food. But Daniel knew that if he just followed God, he'd be healthier than the other people. All right, verse 11. Daniel spoke with the attendant who had been appointed by the chief of staff to look after Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Now look what he says. Please test us for 10 days on a diet of vegetables and water, Daniel said. Oh. Oof. <clears throat> vegetables and water. The king's got steaks on the table, all kinds of stuff, right? Think about the temptation they had to resist. Think about that, right? Now, before we go on, let's read this. The Babylonians were trying to change the thinking of these Jews by giving them a Babylonian education, their loyalty by changing their names, and their lifestyle by changing their diet. You see? Without compromising, Daniel found a way to live by God's standards in a culture that did not honor God. Wisely choosing to negotiate rather than to rebel, Daniel suggested an experimental 10-day diet of vegetables and water. Instead of the royal foods and wine the king offered, without compromising, Daniel quickly thought of a practical, creative solution that saved his life and the lives of his companions. As God's people, we may adjust to our culture as long as we do not compromise God's laws. See the principle? He didn't rebel. He what? He negotiated. He was smart, Daniel. said, let's try this for 10 days. Let us eat vegetables and water. And if that don't work, then we'll follow you. Then he knew God had him. And they, he, after he did it, he was healthier than the other guys. Because who was behind it? God. Now look at verse 13. We're going to close here. We're already out of time. 
Stay tuned. <laughs> At the end of the ten days, see how we look compared to the other young men who are eating the king's food. Then make your decision in light of what you see. The attendant agreed <clears throat> to Daniel's suggestion and tested them for ten days. At the end of the ten days, Daniel and his three friends looked healthier and better nourished than the young men who had been eating the food assigned by the king. So after that, the attendant fed them only vegetables instead of the food and wine provided for the others. So by him being wise, he actually got them the favor letting him stay on his diet. See it? Instead of rebelling, see how he worked his way into that? By what? That was awesome, that, the way he thought about that, huh? He was a smart man, Daniel. Why was he smart? Because God was with him. He was, he, was, he, was, he was loyal to God, and God gave... Remember, it says when you go to court, God will give you the right words to say. God gave Daniel the right words to say. Instead of rebelling, he negotiated with them. And the, and the guy said, yeah, why not? I'll give it a shot. Why not? God favored him so he could do that. Okay? In verse 17, we'll close here. God gave these four young men an unusual aptitude for understanding every aspect of literature. Now, I'm going to read that again. See what he said? God gave these four young men an unusual aptitude. God gives you, when you're really smart in a certain subject, that kind of knowledge and smartness. It came from God. So remember, all your wisdom and knowledge came from God. So thank Him and don't take credit for it yourself. Because God gave it to us. It says it right here. God gave these four young men an unusual aptitude for understanding every aspect of literature and wisdom, and God gave Daniel the special ability to interpret the meaning of visions and dreams. Wow. Isn't that awesome? All right, before we close, let me reiterate on that. Daniel and his friends learned all they could about their new culture, right? So they could do their work with excellence. But while they learned... They maintained steadfast allegiance to God. And God gave them skill and wisdom. Culture need not be God's enemy. Listen to me now. If it does not violate His commands, it can aid and accomplishes His purpose. We who follow God are free to be competent leaders in our cultures. But we are required to pledge our allegiance to God first. You see? We have, to, we have to be able to get along in this culture. But what? But we always have to claim allegiance to God and we don't have to compromise. We can always stay faithful to Him. Amen? All right, we're going to close there. Wayne, you want to come up and close us? And then we're going to do a video. So we're going to start in verse Yes, we are. Bow our heads in prayer. I woke up this morning and I thought, Lord, we're so thankful to have everything in life. We have our health. We wake up every day. He gives us a breath of life. He gives us our cars. 
uh, our jobs. He gives the ability to do what we do. I always have to remember that, everybody, my brothers and sisters. We didn't do it. God gave us the ability to do it. I see that now. We're grateful to have everything in life, Lord. We're grateful to have this beautiful church that we can now call our own, Lord. Bless Pastor John and Lori in this ministry, Lord. Watch over them. Keep them safe from the schemes of the devil. I'm truly grateful to have all you brothers and sisters in my life. I don't know what I would do without, if I was in this, in this world of the devil. We'd all be in hell right now. And I say all these things in your holy, precious name. Amen. Amen. All right. Thanks, Wayne. All right. We're going to stand and watch your video.